Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 101 with Pat McDaniel. And I think that was a very wise decision you made to choose to listen to this. And Pat McDaniel is going to talk about all sorts of wisdom you need to have when it comes to decision-making, not falling for any fallacies and such. And I hope this will serve you well in this happy new year, 2017, if you're making some decisions about New Year's resolutions or strategic directions that you're going to pursue in your career or at your company. So you're going to learn one, a five-step process to better decision-making, two, unexpected hidden influences that affect your decision-making, and three, how to maintain an openness to new or contrary information. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep101. So the letter EP and then the number is 101. And while you're there, I hope you check out some of the other cool stuff, such as our 10 Days to Winning at Work free email course or the Gold Nugget email summaries of each of the guests and their insights and other cool stuff like my training programs. Would love to meet you in person if you book that and so much more. So check out awesomeatyourjob.com while you're checking out the show notes, transcripts, et cetera, at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep101. But first things first, let's talk about Pat. Pat McDaniel is the founder of wiseinsights.net, a website dedicated to helping motivated but weary people keep moving forward by finding the smartest path toward their success. Pat is passionate about sharing his story about how he kept hitting the wall, got mad, and was eventually ready to change how he made decisions so that he could be on the right path. Pat has a highly diverse background. He has been a longtime student, made it through the 19th grade, a CPA, a pastor and church planter, a sales manager, a search engine marketing strategist working at a marketing agency, an entrepreneur who started his own business from scratch, and the author of the ebook, Five Step Process to Making Better, More Successful Decisions. Here's Pat. Patrick, thank you so much for being here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate being on this podcast. It's a great one, too. Oh, thank you. And so I've been enjoying your website. It's a fun domain as well, wiseinsights.net. Just to maybe, you know, tee up, what do you mean by wise insights and sort of problem solving and decision making best practices? Could you maybe wet our whistle by giving us a story or a case in which folks applied some of your wise insights and saw some cool transformation in the world of decision making? Yeah, absolutely. The whole gist of the Wise Insights website is trying to combine two things. One of them is research. There's just a ton of really interesting studies out there that help us better understand who we are as human beings, as well as, you know, just ways to maximize every advantage we can in the workplace and, you know, in life. And so I've tried to bring in a lot of research, but then I also try to bring in what I call ancient wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom that People have compiled in ancient books from all sorts of traditions that sometimes you forget about. And when you start to say, you know, and you talk about that in the conjunction with these research things, it's to me, it's a real potent combination. Oh, yeah. So I do have a case study that's really interesting. I think you might find helpful and the listeners might find helpful because I do a fair amount of research and I have done a fair amount of research on decision making because, hey, who doesn't want to 
be better at making decisions. And my little slogan is better decisions equals a better life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I started doing the research, there's a ton of really good resources out there. The ones that I like, Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow is really good. Chip and Dan Heath, Decisive is really good. There's just a number of different ones that are really insightful on decision making. But uh, a couple of things, uh, statistics that I ran across that I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, that we're not really very good at decision making. And I mean, we're not omniscient. We don't know the future, so we can't make perfect decisions. But at the same time, we're really a lot worse than we probably think we are. And so a couple of examples was, you know, you have these executive search companies that Mm -hmm. go out there and find these high powered executives for these big companies. And they had done this research study around about 20,000 executives, and they noticed that about 40% of the recommendations and the hires for these senior-level executives, they ended up being gone from the company that they matched with within 18 months. And think about how much time these companies put in and take these, you know, temperament tests and all these interviews and just, I mean, it's fairly exhaustive. And then to have 40% of them be bust in 18 months, it's just kind of like, wow. And similar, they went back and looked at mergers and acquisitions that companies had done, and they realized that somewhere in the neighborhood of 83% of all these mergers and acquisitions that companies move forward with, with the hope that it's going to help their company, strengthen their company, they don't. And when you think about how smart these people are and all the number crunching and trying to figure out a lot of things, you know, to have 83%, I mean, it's pretty bad. And, you know, so there's just a lot of evidence out there that we could do a lot better in the decision-making area. And so for me, I wanted to figure out, well, what can I do? And as I began to do my research, I was like, oh, there's a ton of things you can do, a ton of things you can do differently or learn. And so here's where I applied this decision-making information in a real-life case study, and it was actually for me. I developed what they call a five-step process. I have an ebook on my website that talks about the process. We could talk about the actual nuts and bolts of that process in a moment. But I wanted to try that to see if it would help me get a better job because I was working at a digital marketing agency that was, it was an awful experience. And so I wrote up this case study, which is on the website, wiseinsights.net. And it basically takes you through the five-step process and it's got all sorts of stuff. I've got a spreadsheet on there that you know you can download if you want as to how I basically broke things down and evaluated these companies. But the happy news is I ended up having two job offers that were both outstanding. I mean, they were like, wow, I don't know. I mean, they're both really great. And the one that I ended up taking has just been a fantastic experience for me. I mean, it's just a great company and I'm actually getting to do the stuff that I really am good at as opposed to a lot of these jobs out there where you're kind of having to fit into their square hole, you know, and you're like, well, I'm kind of triangular, but you know, that kind of thing. So to me, the five-step process worked beautifully. And so can we recap then, you know, what's one, two, three, four, and five there? Okay. So the first step is really pretty simple. And that is what I call entertain openness, because we all kind of go into these decision processes and we sort of have favorites and we sort of have biases and, you know, like, I really want this to work. And, you know, part of the problem with the decision process is we approach it with a, I'm going to try to make this one work. And it just doesn't work that way. You basically have to keep yourself wide open and entertain all sorts of things. And 
I'm a person of faith, so I believe it makes sense to ask God to show me what does he think I need to do, because he Mm -hmm. knows way more than I do. So that first one is just force yourself to stay open and not close off the options too quickly. Second thing is to expand your choices. And there are a lot of reasons why we tend to get into our sort of into our little ruts in the way we view things like, well, I have kids and I'll talk to them about things that they're trying to figure out. And a lot of times they do the same thing we do, which is, well, I'm thinking about this or that. And it's like, well, what about this? Well, okay. well, what about that? You know, and they hadn't thought through a lot of different choices. And so that's a big one is really stretching out your choices, because let's face it, more choices and better choices make for better decisions. The third step is simply to be able to what I call exposure bias. There are a lot of biases that we have that really do impact your decision. There's and Pete, you and I were talking earlier about this. We can go through a number of these biases, but the reality is that the facts upon which we make our decisions are not as solid as we think they are. Mm-hmm. They are actually often mostly distorted. And so you're making a decision based on a distorted fact that may or may not really be what you think it is. And so you have to kind of go back and look at these various influences that are kind of pulling you one way or the other and come up with a more solid basis on which to make some good decisions. The fourth one is to be able to, what I say, escape your emotions. You actually need your emotions to make decisions. They've done a lot of really interesting research. Like there was a gentleman who was in some sort of terrible accident and a portion of his brain was injured. And it was a particular area of his brain that affected his ability to have emotions. And he not only had no emotions, he was almost like a sociopath at that point, but he also had great difficulty in making decisions because Mm. he just didn't have the ability to integrate the emotional side to it. So I'm not saying that you need to be Spock or something like that to make good decisions. The problem is, is that you have to look at your emotions and kind of keep them a bit at arm's length because they do distort a lot of things. There's a lot of irrational fears that we have that you start to look at something and you think, I don't know. And and in reality, it's like, you know, that's just my emotions talking. That's not me looking objectively at a situation. And so you do need to be able to step away from your emotions a little bit and get a little bit of distance. And in each of these steps, I give you a bunch of different, like, here's how you counteract this. Here's how you would deal with this. You know, for example, on the emotions, you know, part of it is giving yourself a little bit of a time perspective where you're kind of looking down the road, you know, 10 years from now, maybe right now, marrying this girl. Oh, sorry, Pete. (laughs) Marry this girl is like going to be the greatest thing. But if you look down the road, you might say, I don't know if I'd be happy with that decision 10 years from now. So and there's a number of things that you can do. Part of it is just getting some feedback from people outside of yourself who can kind of see how you're caught up in an emotional viewpoint rather than more objective. And then the final step is what we call, and this comes from Chip and Dan Heath, they said, prepare for the worst, meaning face the fact that even if you're very deliberate and you're very careful and you're doing all the right things, there's a really good chance that you're not going to make the right decision just because you, again, are not omniscient. So there are a number of things you can do to mitigate against that. So, you know, as an example, one of them is called a pre-mortem. 
And Gary Klein, who is an interesting psychologist, coined the term. It really deals with the idea of we're all familiar with the postmortem. But what you want to do is you want to look at something, you know, what might go wrong with this decision and really look through all the options. Oh, well, I guess this could happen and that could happen. This could happen. And then from there, you kind of lay out some possibilities like, well, if this does happen, how would I handle it? And if this does happen, what would I do next? And so if you prepare yourself, then you should be able to, you know, address these things a little bit more effectively and ultimately come up with some better decisions because you've taken the time to work it through a careful process rather than just, you know, I just know in my heart this is going to work. And it's like, well, there is a place for intuition, but sometimes making just a gut decision isn't always the best idea. Oh, I hear you. And I think you just prove this just overwhelmingly, convincingly, and beautifully in terms of just illustrations in your 50 Hidden Influences That Can Wreck Your Decisions infographic on your website. It's so captivating. It really pulls you in. So you've listed 50, but I probably don't have time to cover 50. I'd like to hear, you know, just a few, I don't know, three, four, five of some of maybe the most sneaky or commonly occurring or just maybe rationality crushing kinds of hidden influences that are really worth shining a spotlight on right now. Well, there's one that we're all pretty familiar with. We just came through an election season. And what you see in our country today is a great example of the confirmation bias, where we tend to hear what we want to hear and we tend to dismiss what we don't want to hear. And then we think that we're making decisions based on the facts. And it's like, well, actually, no. And, you know, it's not just anecdotal evidence. So they've done a bunch of different studies And one of them, the researcher's name was William Hart, and he did like a meta study. So he looked at 91 different studies that looked at 8,000 participants, and he pulled all this together. And he just said, you know, we're twice as likely to receive and favor information that aligns with our current viewpoint, Mm. as well as to dismiss things that don't fit into my worldview as to what I want to hear. And what's interesting to me, Pete, is not just something that we think we know we can see it on fMRI scans. So they did this experiment with a bunch of people where they stuck them into these fMRI machines to watch areas of their brain and watch them light up. And so then what they did was they took two politicians and people sort of like, I like this politician, but I don't like that politician. You can fill in the blanks as to who they are at this point. And they started to kind of feed them information. And so what they found was they were like, they were showing these people in the fMRI machines information that their favorite candidate was saying that was contradicting. They were contradicting themselves or some sort of scandalous thing that they had said or done that kind of made you look at them in a less favorable light. And then they also did that kind of stuff for people who maybe didn't like so much with the candidate. So what they found was, For the candidates that you didn't like, the fMRI machine showed that you heard and registered in your brain every contradiction that that person made. And it was like, you heard them all. You were like, you had your gloves out to catch them all. Like, wrong, wrong, wrong. Yeah, it's like, "Ah." (laughs) okay. But then they watched the people's brains when they were giving the same sort of very incriminating evidence about their favored candidates, and they dismissed or explained away or whatever way, the brain just basically just ignored it like half the time. They just 
totally swept it under the rug. And so in the end, people's minds were not made up at all. They were confirmed. So it's one of the things for me that I'd like to say I'm not like that, but we're all like that. And so the question is, how do I maintain, you know, an openness to information? So one of the things that I have done is I try to get my news from sources other than my preferred channel, so to speak, because if you sit and watch a particular source of information on a regular basis or listen to certain talk radio shows, you're really not going to get any new information that's going to help you see some things. So that's one of the distortions that goes on, and it seems to be pretty common. And I hear it mentioned a lot is confirmation bias. So that's one of them. Mm. And that's so fantastic. That's that notion about getting them from your non-preferred source, because it sounds like that brain evidence just suggests it's almost like, I don't know, but if you call it laziness or just sort of like comforting and cozy to be in the kind of familiar, I kind of agree with the way this is slanted approach, but it takes a bit of effort to pull yourself out of there and say no, and not like you're being assaulted or anything, but it's a bit uncomfortable if you like the MSNBC and then you flick over to Breitbart or vice versa. It'll be a bit jarring to you, but you're saying that in fact, that jarredness is valuable. Well, and this goes back to a couple of things. One is the fact that human nature does not like uncertainty. We like to have a story that makes sense, that's credible in our mind. And so once we have that story built, you know, it takes a lot. And we see this scientifically throughout the millennium with people have a particular view. You know, Isaac Newton had a view of physics until you know, somebody like Einstein comes along and says, no, actually, it's not exactly like that. But, it, you know, it takes a lot to overcome and get to a tipping point where people say, OK, now I'm buying it. So we all like our certainty. And so once you get comfortable in a particular point of view, if you combine that with your personality, I mean, let's face it, there's some people out there who are more black and white and black and whiters just don't tolerate that kind of gray middle very easily. So they would much prefer to have things work out that way. So it's not at all surprising that we do that. We like our brand of truth and we'll stick with it. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's fantastic. The confirmation bias. What are another you know couple that are really worth highlighting? Well, I just wrote an article for Skip Pritchard on this, and this is the priming effect. And marketers, I'm a marketer, we know all about these. Uh, Robert Cialdini wrote a book called Influence, and he talked about a number of different things you can do as a marketer to influence people toward a decision that you want them to make. And one of the ones wasn't even listed by him, but it's one that is pretty common is the priming effect. So the priming effect is where you introduce a certain variable into the equation to kind of, again, like prime the pump or get them thinking along a certain line. And then the chances of them continuing down that path are very, very strong. So they did a bunch of really interesting research studies. One of them that I really like was they gave these people word puzzles and, oh, we want you to come in and we're going to put you in groups and you've got to solve these word puzzles. You know how you like you try to find the words in the diagonal and that kind of stuff. And they peppered very lightly to one group a number of terms that were a little bit more of the polite side, you know, they were very indirect. And then in another group, they used 
the terms that were a little bit more on the aggressive or rude side. And they weren't saying you need to be this. It was just like introducing a thought into your mind, like, you know, interrupt or idiot or something where you're just kind of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that's what they thought was the test, the participants. But in fact, the test was still to come. So then they told them, okay, now when you're done with this, we want you to go down the hallway and ask for, you know, Mrs. Johnson and give her the test and she's going to compile them and grade them. And, and so everyone was like, okay. So they go down and, and this is all staged, of course. So they have this Mrs. Johnson in this room, but she's actually engaged in a conversation with somebody, maybe a coworker or something. But it's a fairly engaged, animated kind of conversation. So the people who came down who had been primed with these polite terms basically waited a lot longer before they interrupted, as opposed to the people who came down who had already been primed to think a little bit more on terms of like aggressive and rude. And the difference between these two groups was three times, 300% difference in the number of times that the, we call them the rude group, interrupted and basically pushed their way into the conversation because, hey, I mean, I don't have all day here kind of attitude because they'd already been kind of subliminally introduced with that kind of concept. So, you know, priming is something that we're not aware of. And in fact, when they asked these participants, you know, did you know that? And they're like, no, that's not true. <laughs> I just didn't see it. But it's a two-edged sword. If you're not careful, you're going to get primed in a direction that you maybe don't want to go, which is kind of why I am real careful as to the information and the people that I expose myself to, because I don't want to go down certain paths of negativity and all of that. You can also use it in a positive way. If you know that if you introduce certain concepts into your life, that they will influence you, then you need to do intentionally and proactively use things like affirmations and certain things that you know can prime you in the right direction toward success rather than toward worse things. Mm. So oh, really yeah. interesting stuff, very quantifiable as to what they found. And those studies are so fascinating. And you mentioned Dr. Shaldini. And I don't know if you've started reading his latest book, Presuasion. But oh, it I'm going to get it. It's on my list. It is killer. And I hope to have him on the show soon. But Priming, he covers a lot of things like that. And associated, and like the context surrounding things, like if you're watching a scary movie, you're going to be more responsive to an ad that offers something that can be comforting. Mm -hmm. Versus if you're watching kind of like a love story, you're more engaged with an advertisement that's going to show you how to stand out and be a winner and a desirable mate. So just fascinating stuff with, again, hard numbers behind it. So maybe let's take one more. Let's take one more influence that you would like to shine a spotlight on amongst the 50. Okay. So the one that I was thinking of was it goes by a number of different names. I call it the endowment effect. That's what Daniel Kahneman calls it. But it could also be loss aversion is another way. I have it in the infographic under that. And what that means is that it's funny how you can very much change depending on how you perceive something to be a part of, of who you are. So I'm going to lump these two together just because I think these are really, really interesting. So they did a study where they had students, and Daniel Kahneman actually did this study. So he took half the students in this particular class, and they received a coffee mug with the school logo on it. And then half of the students did not receive the coffee mug. 
Then they asked the kids to give an assessment as to the value of the coffee mug. The people who did not get a coffee mug assessed the value of, and it's just a plain old coffee mug with a little logo on the side. They said it's worth $2.87 is what it all averaged out to amongst that group. But then they asked the group that had received it. Now they got it for free. Wasn't anything other than it was now theirs. And they said, how much would they be willing to sell this mug for? And any idea what they thought it was worth? Oh, I'm thinking about hoarders right now. <laughs> so let's say $4. They don't want to let it go. Good guess. It was actually $7.12. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but it's like if you've ever gone to a garage sale and you had people who were selling stuff and you're like, it's not worth that. You know, as a corollary, there's another one called the Ikea effect. And that's where anything that you develop, you've put your muscle into, your effort into, you've built it or whatever, and it can go in a lot of directions besides furniture. You tend to value that item much higher than it actually is worth if you were to look at it on the you know, market. And so there is something about this possession that once you have it or once you've done something toward it, it just distorts the value of it to you. And so you just need to be aware that you're not an independent agent who's objectively looking at life. You're actually being tossed around in all sorts of directions and you just need to be aware. I mean, to me, the number one piece of advice I have based on studying all these cognitive biases is you need to be humble. You got to recognize that you just don't see things as clearly as you think you see. And there's a lot more going on below the surface that you just are not even thinking about or aware of. Mm, That is a powerful, I think, maybe concluding note there. Unless there's anything else you want to make sure that you put out there before we shift gears and talk about your favorite things. No, let's move on to the fast faves because I think people are getting the idea. And, you know, I'm happy to reference a number of books that they can read to kind of see some of this good stuff. All right, then. Well, can you start us off by sharing a favorite quote? Well, can I share more than one? Certainly. (laughs) All right. So here's a couple of them that I really like that really mean a lot to me and sort of energize me. One is every choice you make brings you closer to or further away from your ultimate goals. And let's face it, sometimes we make our choices in a sort of an unthinking way. There's a corollary one that Burton Posey uses. He says, are the habits you have today on par with the dreams you have for tomorrow. So those are real inspiring to me because they make me be a little bit more intentional and proactive in the choices I make. So when I look at a piece of pie, as opposed to my washboard abs, (laughs) I have to say, huh, I don't know. Is it really, really worth it? Mm. A couple others that I like, if you don't mind, I'll throw these out. One's by Mark Twain. A lot of your listeners might be familiar with it, but it's a very potent truth. It ain't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Mm, Excellent. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment? Okay, so here's an interesting experiment that they did. And this was actually by a professor in Amsterdam who was trying to buy a car and he was really struggling. It comes down to, according to this article in Science, it said something like the average American spends roughly 35 hours trying to evaluate what kind of car to buy. I mean, you know, like looking through the manuals and going into these places and looking at them and talking to, I mean, that's a lot. And so he was struggling. And so he did this test where he had a group of, they weren't students necessarily, but subjects who were given 
an evaluation. They were to evaluate these four different cars. And the way they slanted the test was to make sure that one of them was definitely the best choice. Okay. Okay. And so each of these cars had roughly four variables that they had to think about. You know, like one might be fuel economy, one might be roominess. And so they had ultimately 16 variables to look at, four cars and four variables for each car. And they found that out of the groups that took more time to think through and evaluate the options between cars A, B, C, and D, that they did much better, quote unquote, in choosing the superior car based on the evidence. And so this time, second time they did this test, they added more variables. This time, same four cars, but there were 12 variables for each car. So a lot more things to think about, you know, trunk size and who knows. And what they found was that the people who took more time to be a little bit more thoughtful and deliberate did much worse than the people Mm. who just basically looked it over and then made a gut reaction. The people who were deliberate got it right about 25% of the time, which according to one writer said, that's about the average of a dart-throwing monkey hitting a dartboard. But the people who didn't think about it too much, they got it right 60% of the time. And so what it tells us is that it depends on the type of decision you have to make as to the different part of the brain you need to use. You're sort of a rational prefrontal cortex think through it if there's not too many variables. If there's more variables and you just need to make a decision, then go with sort of, Malcolm Gladwell talks about this in his book, Blink, where you just kind of make a decision really quick. And the other interesting part is that the people who made the decision quickly, they tended to have a lot more decision satisfaction. Like they didn't regret it thinking they made the wrong one. They felt pretty good about it. So that was an interesting study to me. It was like, oh, okay, well, it's not a one-size-fits-all way to uh, make your decisions. Oh, fascinating. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Uh, Well, I always want to say the Bible is my favorite book. But beyond that, Robert Cialdini's book, uh, Influence, is great. Dan Ariely's book, Predictably Irrational, is a great book. Really, anything that Chip and Dan Heath write. They wrote a book called Switch, which is outstanding. Made to Stick, that's outstanding. Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg was really, really good. I mean, there's just so many good books out there. There's a book by Adam Grant called Give and Take, and he talks about having kind of a generous attitude in how you operate in life, you know, and in the workplace where you're not always being so calculating as to, well, I give you three favors, now you need to give me three. It's just like, be generous. And it's a fascinating book, what he learned. Mm, That's great. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool, something that you use often? Well, I thought about that. One that I have begun to use about, I don't know, maybe three months ago, which has worked really well. You know how a lot of times you're told you need to be more thankful. Gratitude's a great thing. And everyone's like, oh, the studies are just overwhelming that grateful people tend to be happier people and all that stuff. So I was all in favor of it. The problem was, is I would have, you know, let's say my time in the morning where I would get quiet and I would spend some time, you know, reading and thinking and praying and I'd be full of gratitude. And then by about 10 o'clock in the morning, it was all gone. It's I can all relate gone. to that. It's like, it's like some maybe software or email thing just ticked you off and it dissipated real quick. Yeah. Well, you just get so busy that your brain didn't think about it. It's not like you're suddenly ungrateful. You just, next thing you know, it's five o'clock or six o'clock or whatever. So one of the things that I did is I found an app for my iPhone called Alarmed. And what it does is you can set a chime at whatever intervals you want. 
So it goes off for me roughly every hour, six times a day. You can pick the chime, and I picked one that just has this little ding. It's just real quiet. It's nice. It's not obnoxious. And it goes off at 45 minutes after the hour. And so now there's a joke around here because when my kids hear it, they go, are you grateful, Dad? (laughs) But what it does is it forces me to stop for just a minute and go, you know, over the last hour, is there anything I'm grateful for? And it's like, well, I got to uh, go stretch my legs. I I solved this particular problem. You know, just it just slows you down long enough to kind of stay grateful. And so that's been a really nice tool for me. Oh, that's really cool. And I've done that in terms of the thing of the last 24 hours, but you're really taking it up a notch in terms of the last one hour. So that's fun. I guess we started right after the chime and we're going to end right before the chime. So I'm not going to get to hear it. Well, it actually only goes six times. So usually by the end of the day, I should be in the right frame of mind by now. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, no, that's fine. Well, cool. And that sort of sounds like you told us about a fantastic habit, but does anything else come to mind as well in the realm of favorite habit? Well, you know, probably like you, Pete, I listen to a lot of audiobooks and, you know, you speed it up, you run it at like one and a quarter speed or one and a half speed, and you can get in a podcast in, you know, 25 minutes or whatever, and you can get the gist of what they're saying without losing anything. And there's just a lot of time that we are spending either driving, cleaning the kitchen. I don't know. I mean, there's a million things you're doing, exercising or something that you could listen to something and learn and grow as an individual and grow in your understanding of life. And so that's a tool that I use a lot. That's just been a good addition to my life. Great. Thank you. And would you say there's a particular maybe piece that you share or resonant nugget that when you communicate it, it really gets people nodding their heads and taking notes? You got me thinking about this, Pete. And I went back and looked at my Twitter analytics. And I noticed that one of the top quotes that I have posted, which I post on a regular basis, it basically gets reposted, you know, every three or four or five days. But every time it is, it gets retweeted a very high amount and likes and all that stuff. And it's a quote from Stephen Covey. And it says, I am not a product of my circumstances. I am a product of my decisions. And for me, that's a really helpful summation of where I'm trying to go in life. And part of why I've centered on decision making right now, trying to help people is because, you know, when you think of yourself as a product of your circumstances, then you're forever trying to modify your circumstances and then you'll be happy. You know, if I can just get married or if I could just get this kind of job, or if I could get this kind of whatever. And it's all, you and I know that that's just never going to work. But if you say to yourself, hmm, I have more control in my life and how it turns out than I ever thought I had. So I will intentionally make better decisions. And I am a product of the decisions I've made up to this point in my life, for good or for bad. So that's been a really good quote. And apparently it resonates with a lot of people because when I post it, they tend to retweet it. Thank you. And how about what would be the best place for folks to contact you or learn more about what you're up to? Well, certainly come on over, see me at wiseinsights.net. There's even a contact form on there if you have questions or whatever. There's lots of really good information. There's a number of free resources. There is the five-step decision-making ebook, which you can download for free. There's the massive infographic that is actually a really good infographic that I think people will find extremely helpful as a resource that they can download that for free. 
And in fact, let me give your listeners an easy way to find them. So if you go to Wise Insights, plural, wiseinsights.net, and then forward slash better dash decisions, you'll get to the ebook. If you go to forward slash infographic, you'll go to the infographic page and you can download those there. And you're also welcome to visit my Twitter feed, which is wise underscore insights, the number four and the letter U. So wise insights for you, separated by an underscore. And there I've got a lot of really helpful information that I post on a regular basis on decisions, not just from my research, but also from other people that I run across who, wow, that's a great article. Then I'll post that for others to read, as well as hopefully inspirational quotes that keep people moving forward when life gets tough, and it always does. Mm, Excellent. Thank you. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Well, yes, I do. I would just say, keep in mind, talent is overrated, and you need to keep investing in yourself. That's the great equalizer. So grow, grow yourself, grow your wisdom, grow in your skills, grow your winning mindset, success. I would listen religiously to podcasts like How to Be Awesome in Your Job. I mean, this is the kind of place you're going to get good ideas and some actionable advice. So by all means, keep growing. Read books. Go to the library. I can't tell you how many books I've read that didn't cost me a penny. I just get them at the library. And then the ones that I thought were really good, I'd buy them so I could mark them up. Excellent. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Well, Pat, this has been such a treat. I wish you lots of luck and wise insights and decisions in all that you do in the years to come here. Thank you, Pete. It's been a real pleasure and I love what you're doing. Better decisions do indeed equal a better life, better career, better results at work or whatever context you're thinking and reaching those conclusions. So be vigilant and don't fall for those fallacies as often. And again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items we talked about here, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep101. And I would encourage you to push the subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss from our next guest, Andrew Hermelin. He has received letters back from 500 CEOs that he's written to since childhood and learned a thing or two along the way. He's going to share those. So I hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 